Welcome to The Great Relate. And I'm Laura Postma, and I am so excited and have the honor of hanging out with Whitney and Nick Runyon, two amazing people who I have had the pleasure to know for quite a while now and have always been moved on what you guys do, how you walk your talk and how you live your life. And um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me. Thank you, yeah, we're glad to be you. here. And yeah. like we share similar admiration for you as well. Absolutely. So I, I can sit here and, and introduce you till the cows come home uh, with all of the accolades and the roles that both of you play and what you've accomplished and who you are. But I would like to throw that back on you. How would you like to introduce yourself? Oh gosh, I don't know. Could we be anything? <laughs> just like, yeah. it doesn't, it could just- I'm a four time gold medal Olympus Olympian. <laughs> Yeah. I'm an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think to encapsulate us, we have been married for 11 years. 11 and a half. 11 and a half, coming up on 12. Yeah. And our marriage has been marked by uh, having separate careers where I was an airline pilot, Whitney was a wedding photographer, and then we moved into a stage of where we both quit our jobs and started a nonprofit called the Archibald Project that we've been doing for the past, I guess it's six years now, full-time. Mm -hmm. And then also eventually had children together, but that came to us through adoption. And that's kind of where we stand now. Yeah. So before you guys even thought of starting a family, what did, what did parenting mean to you? What did you think it was going to be like? What was your ideas around it? Well, you know, they say the best parents are the people with no children. So obviously <laughs> we thought we were going to be the best parents ever. Sure. Um, and what did that look like? What did you actually think good parents look like? You know, just being able to control your kids and having like logical conversations with them. Mm -hmm. um I thought I, I never thought I would yell I always thought I would if I saw behavior that I didn't agree with that I would like calmly get down on their level put your hands on my face let's talk this out in a very calm way um good those are great examples yes yeah no, I, I mean we just I think that I thought parenting was going to be I think I say the phrase I never thought I was going to be this kind of mom on a daily basis. And what I mean by that is I feel like I've become like a really mean mom because I'm always saying no, or I'm always, somebody's always getting in trouble. And I don't want to be, I never wanted to be that mom. I thought it was going to be fun and like, let's go on all these adventures. And it was going to be like, they just kind of become a part of our life. And I don't know, but our children, not only are they individual human beings, but they also have a very hard background and they are their children with trauma and so that adds another layer of parenting onto onto that yeah, yeah and I would add to that at least for me is and I there are definitely differences with through adoption and through having biological children but I think that I never realized how much I would be grasping for control which mm. I think is the root of a lot of where 
the saying no all the time or different things come from is just trying to maintain control and you don't want to say yes to another thing that could lead to more chaos or feeling out of control. Yeah. And I think that I'm sure we'll get to some of this, but that sure. it's a long journey of slowly letting go of that and becoming, I think, a better parent because of that over time. Yeah. So where would you guys like to start? Do you want to do you want to start from your your parenting story and how you guys came about choosing adoption? Sure. Um, sure. Yeah, so let's, yeah, let's start I mean, there. I'll start it and then she can fill in the gaps, but yeah. Really our journey toward family started with infertility mm-hmm. and it was something that we it was I'm sure anybody out there that's gone through it knows it's really, really difficult. And mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things that most, most people don't fully understand it till they've been through it themselves. Mm-hmm. And that was met with a time of trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do about this? Are we going to do in vitro? Are we like, what are we going to do medically or not all this stuff? And then in the background of that, we had our nonprofit going where we're, traveling the world and um, trying to encourage people to care for orphaned and vulnerable children. And so we kind of came to the conclusion that for our family, and I'm not saying that this should be the decision for everyone else, but we felt like we couldn't spend the money on medical procedures when we had met so many children that needed a family. And so that was something that we always thought would be in our future, regardless of infertility. And we, but we kind of, I would say, thought yeah we thought <laughs> on what the right timing of that was and okay. so I thinking it wasn't the right time and that we needed to wait and we still had to get some more stability in this nonprofit that was our income that I didn't know how we were going to adopt and run this at the same time because adopting is expensive yeah and so we he then, kept saying he kept saying it'll just happen like we'll just know and I'm like nobody just gives you a child like you have to actively start the adoption process and it's funny that kind of did happen long story but we got an email about our three children um and it was kind of presented to us of like hey can you guys be praying for these kids like they really need a family and nick and i were in a place to say like could we be their family and so it was kind of presented and not just one, but three. Yes, sorry. Yeah. We became parents to three children yes. at one time. And, yeah. that, and that itself was even getting to that point of saying maybe we could be to yes was a really tough but good time of processing and just figure figuring out like if we say no, why would we say no? Is it all fears and what are the realities yeah. of this choice and can we handle this? And we went through all that stuff and decided that we could and went forward with it. So what, tell me just a a little bit about that process for you guys and what was, was it one conversation? Was it many conversations? What was the point you looked at each other and you said, um, we're ready or we're we're not sure if we're ready, but we're gonna make the decision. (laughs) Well, Whitney was ready after a couple weeks of thinking about it. I was like, I need a year to think about this. Yeah, but we didn't have a year. So I think it was kind of a, I was 
she was forced to wait longer than she would have wanted to for a decision. And I was forced to make a decision sooner than I would have wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I think what that looked like, at least for us and our family was some discussions, some fights, uh, some prayer. And I think coming to the point to where we both independently of each other said, yes, we were going to do this so that if it got hard, which it was inevitably going to get hard, we didn't blame each other for what our Mm -hmm. situation was. Yeah. And that's really important for adoption is anybody out there who's considering adoption, you and your partner have to be on the same page individually of each other because it does get really, really hard and you would never want to blame that person. Absolutely. So when you got to the point, yes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to move forward these are our kids, then what? <laughs> well, so then we went to, we went on a trip. Um, a bonding a trip bonding is what trip they call to it. Meet them. You can tell about that. So the reason why we had to make a decision so quickly is because the, the organ, there are children are from the Republic of Congo and there was a trip happening, a bonding trip happening at a certain date. And they wanted the family who was, whoever was going to be adopting the three siblings to be on that trip to get start the bonding process and getting to know them. And so we had a deadline of like, hey, this trip is coming up in basically two months, we have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And we sought counsel, we talked to other people who'd adopted three children at once, who'd done international adoption. Wow. We did some uh, background research on the organization, the children, their actual story, what we were told. Um, and then, Nick called, called me up. (laughs) No, you called me. He was out like kind of doing some like soul searching by himself. And I went out to where he was and he was like, okay, I think that I'm there and I want to do this. And so the next day we told my parents, the next day we told Nick's parents and the next day we got on a plane and flew halfway around the world and spent a week with our kids. (laughs) Yeah. And what was that like? when you met the kids really hard it was really overwhelming for everybody yeah. you know they'd never really been outside of the orphanage walls and they didn't know what a tax they'd never been in a taxi or they'd never seen a hotel room they didn't know what a phone was like they'd never really been involved with a tv or remote control or having freedom to sit at a t- they'd never sat at a dinner table like at a restaurant so they wouldn't sit right it was just everybody was up running in all different that was directions. our only option for food at that yeah point, really so there's just a lot of chaos where Nick and I felt incredibly out of control, mm-hmm. language barrier. Uh, we were on jet lag, a lot of it things. Um, but then we came home and we had about nine months to do all the stuff in America. And when we became legal guardians of them in America, mm-hmm. we moved to Congo and we finished our adoption, basically like fostering them mm-hmm. until everything was finalized in Congo. And we lived, we lived in Congo with them for about seven months and then we moved home as a family of five. So it didn't actually take that long to finalize the adoption process, but. But the way that you guys went about it isn't necessarily the normal route. Correct. Correct. And now you can no longer do that with the Republic of Congo. So Congo wasn't Hague, which is a bunch of like rules that make sure that children aren't trafficked. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Congo is a Hague country and they've stopped international adoption for a time being, but I think they're going to open back up soon. Yeah. 
So those seven months when you lived in the Congo, um, you know, I think parents come in when they have uh, uh, natural childbirth and they have children. There's that, you know, women and the fathers talk about this instant connection, right? Mm -hmm. And tell me what the assumptions that people have around adoption in connecting or taking a longer time to, what don't people know about that? Would you say? I think it's varied a lot from each situation. Like you will hear about, you'll hear stories of people that they get matched with a child and they're like, I just knew it immediately. This was like, we had this instant connection and bond. And that's true for some people and not for others. And I've heard that's even true with, with bio kids that some you connect with immediately and some it takes time or years or all that. So I think that the stories are just really diverse. But, um, I think that when we became a family, we realized that you can't have preconceived ideas for other people. Like that's just not fair to put what you, your expectations onto somebody else. And so I think there was a lot of deconstructing of our own thoughts and our own ideas. And I'd say we still even deconstruct some of our own expectations, but we found that love to say, I love you is like us saying we are committed. We are in it forever. We are never going anywhere. Um, we are committed. And, and oftentimes, isn't that a lot of every type of love, like with I'm committed. Like, I don't like you right now, but I'm committed to you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, oh, oh my gosh. That's Absolutely. kind of where we landed. Well, and I think when, when you talk about that, Whitney, this deconstruction of the expectations that we have or the assumptions that we make about our children, mm-hmm. um, that's an ongoing process at each stage of their development, at each stage of um, their autonomy and them trying to just find themselves and their authenticity. And I think that's such a huge piece of what parenting is all about, learning where (laughs) your shortcomings are. They trigger a lot of our shortcomings, right? Yeah, absolutely. Tell me when um, you brought them home Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, tell me um, uh, how old they are and their names, if you want to share that. Yeah. Yeah. When we first adopted them, we had a five-year-old, almost six-year-old, and then he, his biological brother and sister who were twins, and they were about to be four. So an almost six-year-old and almost two four-year-olds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now they're eight and six. Six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eight and six. Yeah. Yeah. So how was it bringing them back home? I, I think it was easier than if we would have brought them home immediately. So mm-hmm. that was the thing is those seven months in Congo were definitely harder on us, I believe, because we went into being first-time parents of three kids at once with no family around, no community in a foreign country, didn't speak the language, didn't have a car. I mean, we could get around with taxis and stuff, but we we definitely struggled over there. And then coming home, there was a relief of comforts 
like we had more of what we were used to being in our own country and our own home and all that. Sure. But then, and even having friends and community, but then you're pulled in more of like the direction of, I want to do this or I'd want to go do that. And you're, you don't have as much freedom where we didn't really have anything to do in Congo. Yes. Other than parent, really, yes. what we were there to do. And then also just trying to navigate friendships now as parents navigate being with family as parents which we didn't have to deal with all of that in Congo and then also the kids adjusting to being in a new place new beds uh, there was a transition time that was difficult but I still would say that the time in country was more difficult and it was healthy for them to get to spend that time there with us in their own country and culture oh yeah what was most pivotal for you around settling more into a routine once you guys got back to Texas? Like putting in place. I feel like we still don't have a routine. <laughs> yeah. Or systems. Like what works yeah. for you guys now? What, what are you finding after going through all of that? Mm -hmm. What have you found that really works for you guys and your family? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of physical routine or could be anything, anything. Yeah. I, physical routine, the way that you engage, the way that you engage with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, and maybe this is a pretty common thing. I feel like when mom is good, the whole house is good. I feel like Nick says that to me a lot. If I'm like having a bad day or if I'm PMSing or cause my PMS and I don't mean that stereotypically, I mean that like, I mean, I have infertility. So like my mm -hmm. hormones and emotions can be very bipolar or I don't yeah. mean that in a bad way either, but like I mm -hmm. really can suffer. Yeah. So I feel like when we can be just very calm with them and let things go and roll off our backs and be a lot more loose with control everybody does so much better as so much better like they'll yeah. sleep through the night but when I start getting anxious and controlling is yeah. when they start getting anxious and controlling and so now we're both fighting for the control yeah and it, it, and then it just spirals people yeah. aren't sleeping and yeah yeah it, it can be bad where does the control show up like how does it show up for the both of you yeah yeah I mean messes around the house um mm -hmm. but it's not just the mess right right it's it's deeper than the mess but that's kind of how it, I think um yeah what were you gonna say? No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was just it it does it shows up in a lot of areas and I think it's even can be driven by the amount of sleep that you get too that like you just Cause there's days where I can let the house be crazy and I'm out there jumping on the trampoline with them and mm -hmm. go nuts and loud music. And then other times I'm trying to like get them just to be quiet and I can't handle any noise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, we're so just, people are so up and down with their moods and just trying to find a way to um, be consistent when those moods change is really helpful. I think that's what Whitney was speaking to a little bit. Well, something that I feel like we've been doing better at is noticing when one of us is going in a bad place mm -hmm. and being able to say like, hey, I'm not going to be healthy right now. Can yes. I, I just need you to do bedtime or 
hey, I need to like get away for a little bit or we need to change up something because I know I'm off and therefore everyone's going to be off. Yeah. So that's been huge to identify before it spirals downhill for like a week. Yeah. The control thing is such a big thing. I find that in, um, and it's different, I'm sure at every stage of the kid's life, but my control, I would have a hard time if I could, you have that anticipation of need of when they need something. And my thing would be if they're okay, then I'm okay. So if someone in my circle or max, or if I felt that something was off, that would make me anxious. And that would make me ask a lot of questions. And that would, whether it be cleaning, like having a clean house or asking tons of questions and being intrusive into his space or whatever it might. So I feel like it, it shows up so different for everyone, but the bottom line is, is the, that foundation is the control. And what is that control really about? Yeah. What? Can I add one more thing to that? I was just going to say another one that I know that is a big root of control for us. And I'm sure a lot of people is fear. And so I, I find that there can be behaviors or things that happen that probably aren't a huge deal, but we project those out into the future of what they could be or who they're becoming because of that. And it's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge one of that can cause us to be more punish more or try to control behavior more or be harsher mm-hmm. because of that fear. And so Mm-hmm. We fight this constantly of just trying to let that moment not be forever in our minds or what, yeah. who they're going to become and yeah. treat it as an individual yes. occurrence and address yeah. it in that way. And I think as parents, we like specifically for Nick and I, we became parents overnight to three who had never really had any structure and parental guidelines right so Mm -hmm. we were making up for lost time in our heads Mm -hmm. and they didn't know how to follow rules and they didn't understand obedience and like discipline and any of those things and so I think we jumped head head into behavior modification versus Mm -hmm. heart change Mm -hmm. and heart work and so I feel like we still are at times would just like mad automatically just like switch back into behavior modification. And that is a big red flag for me of like, Oh, that's not going to change anything. Like we need to not work on the behavior part. We need to work on the heart and our mm-hmm. hearts and their hearts. And it's good. Well, I have to tell you, I, I think all parents usually start mm. in that realm. If they look at the behavior and when they, they try to control the behavior or fix the behavior, and if they fix the behavior, then everything will be okay. Whether it's what other people are going to think or how is that gonna reflect on me? Or if they just stop doing this, then they'll be okay. Because yeah. like Nick was saying, you're thinking down the line, what is that gonna turn into if we don't stop this behavior? Yeah, I think you say it beautifully when you say, we have to parent from the heart. We have to engage with this individual in this moment Mm -hmm. from the heart. Mm -hmm. And that's all we have is the present moment, what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for us to (laughs) morph this idea of what this behavior could potentially be or what it's gonna look like. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And to me, so what I find is in order to do that, in order to parent from the heart, you have to start becoming aware of yourself and your natural tendencies. What have you found? What have you become more aware of around yourself as an individual through this parenting and, and some of these struggles? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You go. Yeah, you go. <laughs> I got to think about it. Because I find, you know, like Nick, um, you know, I've talked to fathers and um, in working with fathers, sometimes it's, yes, they're parenting the children, but they also want to stay connected and support their partner to the nth degree and whatever they need. So it's almost like an extra layer. There's this sense of, deep responsibility mm-hmm. um so i and one isn't worse than the other or i mean we each carry our own backpacks full of of things that we need to to deal with but yeah yeah and i can attest to that but i think sometimes we miss each other on what that support looks like yeah i right. like maybe some fathers would go toward work more is like I gotta work hard to support the family I don't think I go that way but maybe more of trying to provide breaks for her and Mm -hmm. relief from the chaos of the children Mm -hmm. is something Mm -hmm. I'll try to do but then that sometimes can feel like they're getting all my attention and she doesn't get as much of Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and so trying to find that balance is really difficult Mm -hmm. This is a conversation we had literally yesterday. <laughs> are you kidding? Yeah. So what what do you feel are a couple of the things that you've become aware of yourself as individuals, not necessarily as partners, but as individuals? What are you learning about yourself um, through that parenting lens? Because be being a parent, we learn so much about ourselves, right? It's not about raising the kids, it's about raising ourselves. And I feel like if we do that automatically, um, we kind of release our kids from our own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. What stuff are you becoming aware of good and challenging, right? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I go back to the control thing, but it's true. I think I just realized how little control we have in life, period. So whether it's a behavior that I'm seeing currently and then I project it out to the fear of what they might become versus mm-hmm. I'm seeing some of my friends who are adults struggling with their own things and realizing that they had a great family life and upbringing and their parents have no control over what they're doing currently. And it's like, I have no control. Like, even if they were, you know, followed every single rule and did every single thing I felt I needed as a parent, I still don't have control over them as like a human being. And so I think I'm just, the control thing is just coming over and over. Like I have to let go. Like I have to let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so hard to let go and undo the white knuckling of that. Yes. It's so hard. So how do you go about doing that? Like literally, if you're in a situation and you're seeing one of the kids, you know, do something 
and this starts bubbling up, what do you actually do? Yeah. Well, sometimes I will in a good, like you want to hear a healthy answer or a, Both, either one. I mean, yeah, because it's all that you become more aware of what you do. Okay. Perfect example. It literally happened yesterday. Um, some behavior things were starting to just rub at my little, my issues, right. Yeah. And just becoming friction. And so I noticed that basically all morning long, I had said the child's name over and over again, trying to get a I don't want to throw him under the bus, but you know what I mean? Like I was just really on this kid and I could tell that I was making him insecure and that his insecurities then make him act out even more. And it was just this snowball effect of really bad, really bad, really bad. And I was like, I I got, I just was praying and I'm like, Lord help me. Cause I don't know what to do right now. And then out of nowhere, it was like, we need to go shopping. We need to go. I need to get you, pluck you out of your brother and sister and this house and my like negative interactions with you. And we need to go do something that he loves gifts. He loves one-on-one attention. So it's like, took him out of a situation, took mm-hmm. me out of the situation. We yeah. changed our environment and we came back like full and happy and great. I would say great. Like our attitudes towards each Mm -hmm. other changed Mm -hmm. that he felt loved and cared for. And I enjoyed pouring into him Mm -hmm. and it was just really good. It was like, it was like almost like, like, you know, sometimes when you throw yourself into cold water, it kind of just like snaps. It was like snapping us out of our situation, just getting out of the environment together. Yes. That was helpful. Yeah. Well, and it also like you, you give yourself permission. Okay. I'm letting go of control. I can't mm-hmm. control this. Let's go. Let's change it up. Yeah. And coming from the heart, like you had talked about before mm-hmm. parenting and engaging from such a different place rather than this hamster wheel. Yeah. yeah. Triggered, then he getting triggered and then you just keep on going. Oh, that hamster wheel. And sometimes it's even, I think at least for me, perspective is helpful. If I can pause and think about is this really that important because it feels super important at the time the thing I'm trying to control but in reality if I look at the bigger picture it's not that big a deal and I probably can say yes or mm-hmm. not get that upset about this thing yeah that's happened so and celebrating their wins with them is huge and I feel like as partners we can often when we unwind for the day, we can talk about the hardships, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it's really important to talk about the amazing things they did and how they've overcome certain things and the growth you've seen in them is really helpful to get your mind back on like who they are as humans rather than like it just being a frustrating day or whatnot. Yeah. I think back to your original question of something I've learned about myself is how like I think I'm pretty patient with the kids overall Mm -hmm. but when when what they're doing does not make sense or it's not logical I've learned how frustrated I get really quickly so if Mm -hmm. I'm teaching them something and they're just not getting it or it's not clicking and I've tried six different ways of explaining the same thing I run out of patience really quickly or if there's behavior that is just absurd you know like sometimes you just do things because you're a kid but then if it's like this is just dumb (laughs) I find that I'm very quick to snap and like probably not give the healthiest reaction in the moment 
Yeah. And so I have to try to think back of like the dumb stuff I did as a kid and like how I can, I don't know, just give them the benefit of the doubt in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. And learning to be more patient and more under control in those, those types of situations as well. Yeah. And it's funny because I think, you know, I don't know when you tell me that story, I think back to when I was young and my dad was a, a brilliant and very intelligent person and he would be doing math homework with me. And I was, I'm not a math person in any way, shape or form. And he thought of things to trying to explain it to me the best way that he could. And I just couldn't get it. And I can see him getting more upset and I wanted to get it. I wanted to understand and I just, I couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, you know, putting myself back to what was I thinking? What, and me wanting to please my dad, like I really wanted to get math, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, coming from that parental, that parental role and wanting them to experience what it's like when they do get it, mm. like when they get it, whatever you were doing with the kids. <laughs> I think that's what my dad was trying to do it. Like, it's like these epiphanies that are going to happen, the joy that I'm going to feel when I get it. Yeah. Yeah. The success I'll feel once I, once I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Going into those modes. Yeah. And I would say on the flip side of that, yeah, something I feel like we've realized that we wanted to do that. I feel like we've actually been good at and able mm -hmm. to do as parents is when we do have to get on behavior, I, I, mm -hmm it's really easy to just be like, stop doing that. And, or now you're in trouble and go to your room and that's it. And I feel like we've really taken on this role of explaining why there is consequences for something or why this isn't okay. Instead of just don't do that. It's letting them know constantly that we're for them, that we're for their safety, we're for their health, we're for who they become mm -hmm. as adults, instead of just punishment because you're not supposed to do that like even if they can't fully grasp it we're always trying to explain those things to them and I think over time that they'll get them because I do remember moments growing up where it was just a you're not supposed to do that but you didn't really know why and it just felt mean and like I someone so. didn't want you to have mm -hmm. fun and it's like no I want you to have fun mm -hmm. but this is not going to take you to a good place yeah. You gotta trust me on that, and here's why. You may not understand it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Whitney, what has what have you learned about yourself as a woman being a mom? Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, I don't know. It could be a good thing. I I know. Yeah, isn't that funny? Like, it's a hard question. It is a hard question. I think we uh, well, it's a hard question. I think sometimes because. We look at um, <laughs> everything we're doing wrong, right? Sometimes. Yeah. So it's no. like, what are you, I mean, the, the depth of when we take a sidestep and we think about who, who are you becoming in this additional role? Yeah. Even though it, it seems so omnipotent, but yeah. what, 
who are you becoming in this role? How are you evolving? I, I could tell you. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> you can tell me because I feel like I'm still, I don't know. I feel like it's so, we're so early in on our parenting journey. We've been a we've been parents for about three years now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for the first year or two, I was just underwater, like trying to just come up for air, like not even really processing and thinking and understanding things. And I'd say in the past year, I've been able to do more of the practices that I've learned in therapy of like stopping and telling myself I did a good job and like growing my muscle, my like emotional muscles and capacity. But honestly, I think maybe I've become more patient, but sometimes I don't think that. (laughs) Sometimes I tell myself, I'm like, I, maybe I wasn't supposed to be a mom because I feel like I can be such a bad mom. But then I also know that's not true. I don't believe that. I really don't believe that. Good. Okay. Um, what is a bad mom though? What is that? Well, you, you know, like a bad <laughs> <laughs> being human. Like I, I feel like you're it's we don't give ourselves this spectrum. Yeah. It's we're human. I mean, yeah. being being a mom is one role that we play. Yeah. I think a lot of it is lies that I believe about adoption and, and what those mainly are is they are going to reject me because if I don't give into what they want, if I, if all they think about is mom is punishment, um, mom doesn't like messes, things like that, then that's going to be their entire childhood and adolescence. And then when they become 18, they can just push me away and be like, you were a bad mom. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's not true. Like any, I know biological kids can do that as well, but I feel like I need to like get that lie out of my head because it's like I said, it's not true, but what is true? What do you find is true though? What do you know to be true? What I know to be true is that is a portion of our relationship. And I hope that when they're older and they look back on their childhood, the bond and the connection that we have because of good moments and times and like good memories and how I do like attach to them and bond to them will be bigger in their memories and in their emotions than the like, oh, mom was just trying to help me not hurt myself or hurt somebody else. Sure. That's what I know to be true. I just hope it is true well and our job as adoptive parents is not to replace right their biological parents it's mm-hmm. to provide them a safe place where they can like we can be the role in their life that they need us to be and that can probably look or will look different for each one of them mm-hmm. but the consistent thing will they have to know that we're never going anywhere they can trust that we want what's good for them mm-hmm. and that they can express their pain with us without feeling like it's going to hurt us. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it, you know, I love what you said, that safe place. And to me, the safe place as a parent is giving ourselves just permission just to be human just to make mistakes and to be transparent about it yeah and to recognize all the things that we're doing right but to keep on trying yeah and just be the best version of ourselves 
to me, trying to be the best version of ourselves is that safe place for our kids. Yeah. Just that you continue to try that. Yeah. So I'm going to allow Nick to, to tell us how Whitney has evolved <laughs> in this role as a mom. I was going to say that I just think she has become much more resilient as a mom, like even as a whole person, where there are times that she goes down into a really hard place and she'll say, I can't do this, or I don't know, Maybe whatever the say that. Not, I'm, where she'll say, it's just too, I don't know. But she just, she doesn't stop trying to yes. improve. Like she never just resigns and says, well, this is just who I am and I'm never going to defeat this thing within me that I struggle with. She keeps trying and coming back. And I think that that muscle has been worked out, especially <laughs> in, in parenting, but it's cool to see. It's really cool to see. It is cool to see because when you do that, I, I just truly believe our kids see that. Mm, they see so. that was absolute. Well, and you give to me, you give, we give our kids permission to do the same. That's what I always want them to see. Like when I'm freaking out, if I need a minute and I'm like, Hey guys, I just need, I got to breathe. I'm going to do, mom's going to do pushups. I need to regulate myself. I'm dysregulated. I want them to be like over time to realize, Oh, it's okay. Even as adults, we can get yes. dysregulated and we have emotions. And so, yeah, I hope so. Absolutely. And what about, how have you seen Nick evolve? It's, it's, I'm finding it so hard <laughs> for parents to see the good and like who they are and who they're becoming through this role and yeah. what they're learning about themselves. What would you say about Nick? Well, I feel like, I mean, you know, Nick, I feel like he's always been this like superhuman able to, you have been, you're really, um, you have a big cup, like your cup is really big. You're like the Grand Canyon of cups. <laughs> you can have a lot going on. I, you get overwhelmed for sure, but like your ability to be patient in the overwhelming times, I feel like he's always been able to do that. What I think has become more uh, defined in parenthood is maybe your ability to let things roll off faster mm -hmm. like not let it bother you and fester and just mm -hmm. like I he can be he can let things like take over and like completely control him mm -hmm. and I feel like with parenting you've been able to see something experience it feel it let it suck and then just move on and you, that's transformed into like social life into other friends yeah the Archwell project yeah it's gotten tougher that's awesome. Okay. Tell me, tell me what's been um, great or challenging about raising kids from a different race that are a different race. Oh my gosh. That is a whole conversation on its own. Yeah. I mean, just, just even now, I mean, it doesn't have to be, yeah. What's come. What all, comes I up feel like we, yeah. I don't, it, I don't want to, whatever we say, I don't want it to be taken lightly because race and specifically race in America with African-Americans is it's such a deep um, 
heavy, uh, real mm-hmm. topic, conversation, issue, injustice. Like there's just so much to unpack mm-hmm. that I don't think that I could do it justice, but it is, it is a very real thing, parenting children that A, don't look like you and B, when the parent is white and the child is black mm-hmm. because of, I, I, there's just so much. Um, I mean, anything that we've learned mm-hmm. has been through other people and conversations that we're fortunate enough to have through our work with mm-hmm. the Archibald Project, which is great. Not anything. Um, a lot, of, I would say. But I think you're forced to make choices sometimes that are difficult, mm-hmm. like with uh, where you live or mm-hmm. education and um how you find racial mirrors for them and people like even the shows that you watch or the things in the house the posters on your pictures that are up is like trying to find that balance and celebrating not just their skin color but also their culture and heritage which is not american and Mm -hmm. so there's multiple layers of that and i think it's one of those things that I would say is challenging and we're still trying to figure out how to do that yeah. well. And I think that's always gonna be something that we're having to evaluate and lean in with them and ask what they need and try to mm-hmm. try to give them what they need in yeah. that area. And one of the best resources has been able to talk to adult adoptees who were transracially adopted Mm-hmm. So learning from them and learning what they needed as kids from their white parents, and then also learning from other black adults who weren't adopted, but just learning why it's important to have racial mirrors, how to talk about systemic racism, how to talk about slavery, how to talk about police brutality, how to talk about uh, uh, hair care. Like there's just so many things yeah. that we want to be aware of and cautious of and having conversations with our kids. And so we don't ever want it. We don't ever want our kids to get to an age where they start to ask questions. This is a conversation that's been going on since the beginning. Like we talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but normally we let them lead the conversation in the sense of like when they want to bring it up because it can be sensitive and we don't want to like push things on them but when um yeah just like knowing their personalities like who needs like I know that I can bring it up to one of them and it's good we can talk about it but if I bring up another if I bring up race to another one Mm -hmm. they 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 just push it away and they don't want to and so I know I need to let that child come to me and want to talk about it Mm -hmm. versus me pushing it onto them but but yeah it's a it it's it's an important conversation and it's very heavy yeah what do uh, what assumptions do other people make around your parenting story I think the biggest one is that um it's the statement you hear a lot is like oh that's just kids Mm -hmm. And 
I think that there is some truth to that when it comes to our parenting story, but at the same time, there is a lot about adoption and trauma that maybe the average person doesn't understand, not that they should or have to, mm-hmm. but it's easy when we talk about behaviors or things that are happening that we know and identify as something that is out of their past or someone else sees them doing something and they, it's easy for them to write it off as just, oh, that's just kids. Yeah. And sometimes that's true, but it's not always true yeah. when it's said. And I think that's, it's hard for people to understand. And like I said, they're not expected to, but it can be, it can kind of feel minimizing to what's happening mm-hmm. in the moment mm-hmm. when people say that. Yeah. I think with, I think that's very true in adoption and foster care is we often as parents feel alone in this journey because other families who have not experienced it, they just, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, and I think that when that comment is thrown out there, people are trying to, you know, find camaraderie and they're trying to be kind and like, Oh, it's not a big deal. And even make you feel like any other family, like right, almost inclusive, right. really. But it's just, it can be hurtful because it's like, there's just so much there that you don't know that it's just, it's hard to hear. Yeah. Yeah. How has being a parent now impacted your role as the founders and leading the mission for Archibald Project, the Archibald Project? It's definitely yeah. changed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> both good and bad, really. Yeah. Like, and maybe not bad, hard and good. Okay. So hard is just feeling, you know, we have a quarter of the time that we used to, to pour into this thing. And I feel like there's mm-hmm. always just so much to be done mm-hmm. to try to accomplish the mission in a better way, which is a good mission. And we want to give time to it, but it's just not possible to give it the same amount of time and energy that we used to, which is tough because we also love this nonprofit and are believe in it and what it's doing. And we want to give it our best effort. And that looks different nowadays. Absolutely. Um, But then the good too, is that going through an adoption ourselves, we just have so much more empathy in the stories that we tell. We have so much more knowledge around the conversations we have. We can ask more educated conversations. Mm -hmm. We understand to a certain degree, not always, but somewhat where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. We've gotten to learn so many parenting ideas and techniques and things for our own family, very specific Mm -hmm. around adoption, around race, around Mm -hmm. trauma, all these things that we, for Mm -hmm. our job, get to talk about Mm -hmm. that maybe we normally wouldn't. We've definitely, I feel like the Archibald Project has become a better place for people to find help once they decide to start caring for a vulnerable child because we're there. Like we, we told inspirational stories for so long and then now people have acted because of the stories the Archibald Project has told. Like they've become foster parents or started an organization or adopted or done something and now they're probably like, okay, and now what? Like I saw this pretty film and then I, you know, became educated and I adopted and now what? Yeah. And so now right. we're like, hey, we're right there with you. We're like, now what? And so therefore we're seeking out all this advice and information and help. Mm-hmm. And then we just get to tell those stories and give it to the audience 
to, to help them keep going and to sustain them. So I feel like we've, the Archibald project has gotten better because mm -hmm. selfishly we need to know what to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I think it's definitely gotten better. And where do you guys find the most support in tackling all the roles that you play? From it. As parents or with work or just all the different things? Let's let's shoot at parenting. Um, I mean, just having community, like friends that will mm -hmm. give you a break and let you go on a date night sometimes that mm -hmm. The kids love and trust is super helpful. I mean, that's the thing is like, even anybody's a parent, you have to have, I, I believe to be healthy, you have to have people around you that are gonna yeah. not just support you, but also challenge you and say, hey, I saw this and you could have done this better. You know, the people that are safe that you're not just on an island and always doing it your way all the time. You have to have people in your life that are going to challenge you in love and then be there for you and support you and especially in adoption and foster care and things like that. Absolutely. And so just yeah. our friends and family have been pivotal in us mm -hmm. on this journey, on this journey. Mm -hmm. I would agree. If you can give one parenting tip, one pivotal parenting tip to people that um might be going through some of the experiences that you have within what you've just talked about in your parenting story what would that be mm. that you'd like to pass on i would say as as to the best of your ability don't put expectations on your child mm. and my therapist used to always say, don't project into the future. So like, don't let this problem, this issue, this thing become who they are now in the future. So like, that's so good. Don't project your expectations and don't project who they are going to be in the future. Yeah. That really has helped me. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, and I, so this was a, something we learned from adults who were adopted, adult adoptees, as okay. they processed their own story from their past. And the thing that we hear over and over and over is one of the hardest things for them is if they would, they would talk about pain from their past and it was met with insecurities from their parent, yeah. right? So it like yeah. infringed on the parent-child relationship or what that parent did is to adopt them and like, oh, you should be grateful and should be happy. And so mm. the, the pain felt invalidated, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've seen that though, even now in just every parent-child relationship that the, the more we can keep our own insecurities out of the relationship and make space for the pain and the feelings of our child, oh even if they're really, I don't know, really big or really minimal of just validating those yeah, that's and making huge. and setting yourself up to be a place that they can process whatever they're feeling, I just think is going to lead to much healthier, not only children, but relationships with your children yeah. as you get older. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's beautiful. Huge. Huge. Mm. Both of those are huge. Not easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. a process, right? Definitely oh, not definitely. easy. But uh, imperative. Yeah. yeah. Imperative in the relationship. Um, okay. I got quick five. Oh, shoot. Hold on. Here it is. <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh, all right. I don't have my quick five. Oh, um, man. I, I know I have to, I have to find my, quick <laughs> but, um, okay. Well, one was the parenting tip. The next one was, um, uh, your, hold on, it, it'll come to me. <laughs> Guilty pleasure. Oh gosh. Wine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, yeah, whiskey, I was gonna say whiskey. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, awesome. Parenting tip, guilty pleasure. Oh, I'm so mad I didn't have that. I had it, I have the wrong paper. It's all good. Um, where would you, where would you like people to find you to get, um, to hear more about what you do and to support your cause and to read up and, and just follow your story as yeah. it evolves? So it, the quickest, easiest way is our Instagram. We're at the Archibald project. And then we have a website, thearchibaldproject.com, but some of our films are just, Nick is the film guy, so I can just talk about how amazing they are. They're amazing. So if you guys want, check out our YouTube page, The Archibald Project on YouTube. The Advocates we started, it's a, um, it's kind of like a travel orphan care show. So we go to different countries and we highlight the orphan crisis in that specific country while eating good food. And there's really good cinematography and things like that. Uh, episode six in Thailand is my favorite. So if anybody out there. They're amazing. They're absolutely you. amazing and moving and inspiring. They really are. Thanks. Thank you. Unbelievable. Thank you. And I so appreciate you guys just hanging out. I, oh my gosh, it. we're so honored. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And just um, I think you've um, inspired a lot of people and especially me to just really um, dip into people's stories and so much connection is brought from that. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We love what you do too. It's yes. super important. And I know really loving so your people. Instagram right now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for this time. Absolutely. You've been listening to The Great Relate podcast, hosted by Lara Postma. To learn more about The Great Relate or get access to customized coaching, check out thegreatrelate.com. Subscribe to The Great Relate on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll catch you in the next episode.